Welcome everyone to the Neil World Order podcast. Coming to you on a very, very frigid night here in Wisconsin. I just checked before we started and I believe the real feel outside right now is about 2 degrees. Uh, Pretty cold for this time of year, you know, a couple days before Thanksgiving anyways. Uh, It's been a, a very, very cold week. A little bit of snow. I mean, we've got snow on the ground, but I mean, it's not like accumulation. It's just on the grass and stuff. Hasn't been cold enough to stick to the cement. Um, Made for a sloppy night a few weeks ago, or a few nights ago, as it was windy and just like a wet snow, and there were like accidents everywhere. Um, You know, I think it just kind of came out of nowhere. Last week, I think it went from... I believe it was like 70 to 60 degrees one day and then like a high of 28 the next day. It was, it was wow. You know, it wasn't something uh, we, we were used to. It seems to kind of gradually get cold around here, you know, instead of just kind of snapping right into it off the bat. But yeah, it was pretty, the winds have picked up a little bit. It looks like it's going to be in the high 40s next week so that's i know for some of you people listening around the country probably like that's terrible but you know we'll take it um you know the snow doesn't really bother me as much a lot of times it's the wind and the just the really cold air that comes with it it's wind chill because i think it's actually like 18 degrees out there but the wind chill makes it feel like two degrees so that makes it kind of brutal just like what we get usually come January and February when I'll be crying to you about the minus 30, minus 40 temperatures that I'm sure are uh, on our way. You know, unfortunately, the weather isn't the only thing that's pretty miserable this weekend. Um, The Packers on Thursday night pretty much put an end to their season, in my opinion. Uh, I think that was seven losses now as they, the offense just looked completely, just looked bad. Aaron Rodgers looked really bad, missing throws, missing receivers. It was one of those games where I was like, okay, this isn't the receivers this week. Um, you know, the defense had a tough job trying to stop Derrick Henry of the Tennessee Titans, which I think they did a good job of. We just were terrible on third downs and played this zone defense, which always leaves guys open. Our defensive coordinator is terrible and should be fired uh, You've heard me say many times, it's the guy who was the coordinator when the Lions went 0-16. So, <clears throat> I guess the nice part of it is, is that I don't really have to pay attention to the Packers games the rest of the year. I think we have the Eagles next week. It's either the Bears, then the Eagles, or Eagles and the Bears. The Eagles are going to kill us. Um, they're probably one of the better teams in the league with the Vikings, strangely. And, you know... We're at this point. We're just playing for a high draft pick, in my opinion, and people are probably fighting to save their jobs. Which I I don't know how many of them are going to be able to do that. And in a hold my beer moment, the University of Tennessee uh, failed to bring their defense to South Carolina tonight, as they were run off the field. I believe it was final score was sixty three to thirty one, and to add insult to injury. It uh, looks like starting quarterback Hendon Hooker went down with some kind of serious knee injury. I would say there's probably some kind of tear there. And his season's unfortunately probably done too, especially if he wants to play in the pros. It just it was an ugly game right out the gate. I believe uh, South Carolina scored on their first four possessions. 
maybe five. <clears throat> and it was just brutal. It was 35-24 at halftime, and we consistently had no answer for what they were doing on offense, which really, I mean, they threw some gadget plays in there, but honestly just looked like a lack of coaching and lack of preparation. Our, our defense looked just like the shits today. I'm used to seeing a bad Packers defense just because we've done that all year. Tennessee had kind of put together a string of some, you know, we've given up some points, but we've kind of had that whole bend but don't break thing and had some real bright spots. But, man, the the secondary was never in the right place today. Seems they were always a step behind, missed tackles, just South Carolina literally. I mean, that was not that was an ass-whipping. Like, that's the kind of loss you're going to remember, especially when you look at what it cost us. Um, there's absolutely no shot to get into the college football playoff now. And we were pretty much a shoe-in with Michigan and Ohio State playing each other next week. Obviously, you know, them being two and three, one of them was going to lose, and that was going to move us into four. Um, you know, possibly three if Texas Christian loses, which I still think they will. They barely squeaked by today uh, as time was running out against Baylor. But, you know, the season's not over, but any shot of the playoff and, you know, the dream season is over. And it's, I guess you look at it like we were playing with house money anyways. You know, I, I didn't, I, I thought we would be decent this year. I didn't expect, to, you know, the, the team to take us on the ride. They did. So I'm not as down as, you know, the Packers had a ton of expectation. And just shit the bed from the first, you know, first five minutes of the first game. Uh, this Tennessee game t- team just they had the defense had a really bad game. I mean, the offense was putting points on the board, um, you know, and they had some struggles too. Uh, there were a lot of guys overthrown. You know, I think the crowd in South Carolina created a very hostile atmosphere, uh, which you know when you go on the road that that that's the way it is in college, especially you know down south in the SEC where. Fans are rabid, and, you know, we have it in Knoxville, and unfortunately it just just didn't go our way tonight, and it, and it sucks. You know, I guess you hate it for, you know, the guys because you're like, okay, these guys put together an awesome season, and they were this close. But, uh, you know, you look at next year, and we'll still play in a decent bowl game. Uh, you know, you hope we just don't turn into, like, Alabama, how they get when they lose a couple games and they just don't care anymore, and it gets ugly, and, you know... Alabama will probably lose whatever random bowl they go to unless they play somebody like Penn State or Purdue or somebody. But yeah, I was that was a tough game, you know, but I, I I'm keeping it in perspective when I think about how rough things have been since what, two thousand five, two thousand seven as a Tennessee fan that you know we don't want to be spoiled instantly. This was, like I said, you know, this season was, even if we only end up with two losses, that's way better than I ever imagined, considering, you know, we play Florida, we play Georgia, we play Alabama, we play LSU. Um, you know, Kentucky started to put a good uh, team on the field. Pitt, Pitt was ranked in the beginning of the year. They still might be. We had a very tough schedule, and, um, you know, while this wasn't one of the two losses I would have picked, it happened nonetheless. So I think as a Tennessee fan, there's more things to be thankful for 
than there are to be sour over. Yeah, it sucks to lose. It sucks to miss the playoff. Um, you know, but at the same time, it's been a great season. And just to know that the program is on the right track and that, hey, you know, we're back. You know, Rocky Top is back. It's become a destination. We've had tons of prime time and television exposure, which is going to help recruiting. Uh, kids are going to come from all over the nation to want to play in Josh Heupel's offense. They've seen the numbers the receivers put up that Hennon Hooker has put up. Joe Milton came in and played great. You know, a lot of people forget that Joe Milton's good enough to start at most colleges around the country, you know, and he's our backup. But, you know, it's disappointing. But at the same time, you know, that that's part that's that ninety nine percent of being a fan is not not getting those championships, not getting those wins. You know, that's only the one percent. One percent you get you spend ninety nine percent of your fandom being let down, having your heart broken, just being like, Oh, we almost you know, you only get that one percent. Unless you're like a Lions fan or whatever, you know, it's a hundred percent loss all the time. But I digress. So, a few weeks ago, um, well, I'll get started. I'll just, years ago, uh, when I was in college, I remember reading an article uh, about this guy. He had uh, maxed out all his credit cards and borrowed money from friends and stuff to make a movie. And it did really well at one of the independent film fests. It might have been Sundance or like a New York film fest or, or something. It's that was a long time ago, so I don't remember all the details. Uh, anyway, the article talked about the brilliance and how witty uh, the, the dialogue in the movie was, and how it followed the story of two uh, convenience store workers. Uh, the movie was Clerks by Kevin Smith. Me being me, you know, after reading the article, I of course had to go find this movie on VHS. I'm obviously dating myself. Some of you are probably like, "What's VHS?" <clears throat> I'm pretty sure uh, the place I rented it was this little mom-pop video store over on Dixie uh, by Tennessee Tech University. And I want to say it was called, like, The Fighting Monk. Maybe if any of my Tennessee people remember it, they could love, they could tell me if I'm wrong. But I swear it had a, um, a name like that. It was something, I don't know why Fighting Monk popped in my head, but maybe that wasn't it. But it was something like that. Anyway, so I rented the movie. I freaking loved it. Probably watched it like 10 times. Then I proceeded to make every one of my friends watch it. And, you know, like all my people that I hung out with, they all loved it. And the movie literally kind of became a thing with uh, me and all my group of friends. Every time we met someone who'd not seen it, we made them watch it. And if you haven't seen Clerks, the first Clerks, you have to see it now. You know, you just, it's brilliant. I just remember all these nights where we'd, uh, maybe decide we're not going to go out or the weather was poopy or maybe we didn't want to, you know, whatever. And we'd all, we'd worked late. We'd come home, have a little drink and be like, Hey, let's watch, you know, we'd watch this movie for like the umpteenth time and, uh, loved it every time, you know, laughed at the same things, maybe found something different that made us laugh. Um, and it was just, you know, it was just, it was just a thing. So fast forward to a few weeks back from now, uh, my wife and I went and saw Clerks 3 at a special screening uh, where Kevin Smith was actually in attendance and uh, did a Q&A. He talked a little before the movie, talked after. And it was kind of like the whole thing coming full circle. 
you know, as we were sitting there in the Paps Theater in Milwaukee, which is a beautiful theater, uh, very underrated. Not the most comfortable seats, but the place is like a zillion years old, but it's in good condition. It's really cool. Um, kind of scanning the crowd, seeing mostly people, you know, that I guessed were about my age and telling myself, you know, these people probably had kind of the same experience with the film all these years ago and, you know, even to date. And it was really cool to have Kevin Smith talk about how the film and, you know, all the films came to be. Hearing him talk about uh, how he was kind of a combination of Dante and Randall, who are the two main characters in Clerks, it was enlightening in a way, and it, it kind of really gave life to the whole universe that Kevin Smith has kind of created with his films. Um, after Clerks, Smith's next film was uh, Mallrats. I don't know how many people... Mallrats is another great film. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. Um, which he also informed us during the Q&A that there is a sequel for Mallrats in the works uh they're waiting on some tax credit stuff from the state of minnesota and the oh shoot was it and i think they're still going to film it at eden prairie mall in minnesota or eden something and he also said if they do an open casting for extras he said if you call and do the little questionnaire so the last thing and maybe he's fucking with people and just wants you to do it to tell the the casting person who's on the other end of the phone at the end of the... Oh, by the way, Kevin told me to say pineapple douche, and then he would make sure you would be an extra in the movie. And he said that was a shoe in to do it. So, you know, in the next year or two years, whatever, if you remember this or if anyone's even listening to this, anyone in Minnesota, just keep that in mind, and maybe you can be an extra on the set of Mallrats too. And I believe it was, it's called... Uh, I saw it online. It's it's the something of the mall rats. It's it's a throw on a a take on another movie title. Anyways, mall rats. Um, it introduced us to Jason Lee, um, you know the skateboarder who would later go on to do My Name Is Earl, uh, Almost Famous, a bunch of other films. Um, you know, and like I said, Mallrats was great. Ben Affleck is in it. Uh, Shannon Doherty of the original Beverly Hills 90210 fame. You know, and the cool thing with Kevin Smith's movies is they always kind of tie events from the other films as well as characters, which he created. He kind of created his own, like, Marvel universe. To extent. It's not like superhero stuff. I mean, I guess you could Jay and Bob, but... <clears throat> You know, Clerks was kind of the launch pad for Jay and Silent Bob, the latter being played by Kevin Smith himself. And those two would make appearances in the other films, as well as having two of their uh, very own standalone films that did incredibly well on their own. J I believe Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back grossed $40 million at the box office, while the... Uh, Reboot brought in another $10 million, which was considered a huge success when they broke it down to how many screens it was showing in and how much money it made per screening. It made it one of the most successful movies of all time while only grossing around $10 million before distribution. Kevin Smith has written, uh, directed 15 features, numerous shorts, um, even some TV episodes he's written and directed for uh, Flash, Supergirl, The Goldbergs, as well as having the show Comic Book Men, which I believe used to be on AMC, 
and the cartoon of Jay and Silent Bob, which I believe it was on ABC for like a year or two. It was good. I think it was just people weren't ready for that. I don't know if it, you know, a lot of the stuff, if you haven't seen his movies and followed along all these years, sometimes you can get <clears throat> lost in it. But there's, there's a true genius to his films. Um, you know, I think of another one of his films, Dogma, which I, I believe is vastly underappreciated and probably because of some of the subject matter. Um, he kind of took on religion, uh, the Catholic religion in particular. Uh, it had an all-star cast, Ben Affleck's in it, Matt Damon, George Carlin, Chris Rock, Alan Ruck, and even Alanis Morissette makes an appearance. You know, and he kind of goes through the whole story, like Ben Affleck and Matt Damon play these two angels that were kicked out of heaven and they're sent to the only place worse than hell, which just happens to be Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is kind of funny. And Smith talked about this in his Q&A, even saying he had never even been to Wisconsin at the time that he wrote that. It just kind of happened and it was funny, you know, and he said one of the things he said was when people said that they were like, dude, you're so right. This place is worse than hell and blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, when he first came to Wisconsin, he was always worried it was going to get thrown in his face, but everyone kind of supported it and told him it was genius writing. Uh, You know, and then, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, maybe longer, uh, Smith gave us Clerks 2, which was even more Dante, Randall, Jay, and Bob. And it kind of just introduced another phase of the characters' lives. You know, and then you have Smith's twisted love story, uh, Chasing Amy, which with Ben Affleck, uh, Joey Lauren Adams, uh, Jason Lee is in that again, as well as Jay and Silent Bob. Uh, he had the dramedy Jersey Girl, Jennifer Lopez, Ben Affleck, George Carlin, uh, adorable movie, uh, Will Smith even makes an appearance. Uh, a lot of people have probably seen it and never realized it was a Kevin Smith uh, movie. And then, you know, probably the low point, at least for me, in his filmmaking would be uh, Zach and Mary make a porno, which uh, Seth Rogen, Elizabeth Banks, Jason Mewes was literally the bright spot in the movie, and that's Jay from Jay and Silent Bob. You know, and you, you grow to love Jay as you kind of just venture through all the Kevin Smith films. Especially, you know, his backstory and everything he he was struggling with behind the scenes and to still present such an amazing, uh, you know, foul-mouthed but lovable (laughs) character. Uh, Especially even in the Jay and Silent Bob movies, he's just, he's amazing. Uh, Smith uh, ventured into uh, horror movies with the film Red State and Tusk and sort of a bit with Yoga Hosers which I believe was a spin-off, was kind of like, you know, based, had characters from Tusk. One of them was his daughter, and I believe the other girl was actually Johnny Depp's daughter, uh, Lily Rose or whatever, was the other girl in Yoga Hosers, if I'm not mistaken. I've never seen that one, but I've heard good things about it. Uh, you know, they received his horror movies, and those received great reviews. Um, you know, and most of his films are kind of considered like cult classics. Um, you know, and there's just a, 
it's kind of one of those things that once you see one, you know, you're, you're brought in and you go through and you see them all. I wouldn't say other than the Clerks movies, there's an order that you need to watch them in. But maybe if you don't watch Clerks, the original Clerks, which is actually shot in black and white as well. Um, you know, Jay and Silent Bob might throw you off. But anyways, he eventually, he came full circle with Clerks 3, um, which was kind of cool the way he explained it. Before the film, Smith kind of explained that it was a reunion. You know, and in a, it's kind of exactly what it was. If you hadn't seen the previous Clerks movies, like I said, you wouldn't appreciate it. You know, and you, you wouldn't have the sentimental value in some of the characters or lines that were used in the movie. But I definitely encourage everyone to watch all three. I think they're great movies. I think they're funny. You know, it may not be for everyone. You know, they're not your uh, Martin Scorsese or Stanley Kubrick, Ridley Scott kind of movies. And there's a time for those. Um, I remember in film school getting laughed at when I said that Kevin Smith was probably my favorite director you know, in a room full of a lot of pretentious people, you know, and then you had me and Scott, um, you know, and I liked, I liked good story, good dialogue, and people that entertained me and made me laugh, you know, I, I watch dramas and serious movies, but at the end of the day, I love, I love comedies, I lo- I think, you know, it's harder to be funny than it is to be serious, I'll always believe that, but, you know, as the temperatures drop, what better way to pass some time in your winter after you're done catching up on all my podcast episodes than to uh, watch some Kevin Smith movies by the fire, if you have a fireplace. Um, but it was kind of cool as I was sitting there through Clerks 3 and then uh, the Q&A where Kevin Smith was talking, and I was just thinking about the journey that that one article I had read, which I, it was either in Maxim or Playboy, no lie. Uh, it was one of those two magazines. So I was totally taking a shit when I read it. And how it kind of brought me on this cool ride that had took me to film school and, you know, even all of our adventures in film schools and the short films we wrote and the things we would film and bait. Like, Smith always had some sort of influence on it. I think it kind of was a thing that, like, yeah, these are the stories I want to tell. This is This is the dialogue I want to use. You know, these kind of characters. I'm not trying to make... Top Gun or The Godfather or, you know, Sophie's Choice. I want, you know, a story that seems real, people doing real things. And I think that was one of the things that Scott and I had always connected on as well. I think it was part of our love for documentary filmmaking. It was because it was the truth. You know, you just find interesting people and you tell their story. But, yeah, so it was a really cool experience. I'm glad I splurged for it. Uh, I think my wife enjoyed it. If not, she pretended to. But, yeah, Clerks 3 was great. You know, like I said, get a chance. Watch any Kevin Smith movie you, you, you can find. And I'm sure you'll love it. If you don't, you can tell me you hated it. And I'll just be like, okay. But anyways. So, earlier this week, Tuesday night, Donald Trump announced his plans to run for president in 2024. You know, the announcement to me seems a bit early, and I'll be honest, I, I, you know, and I've talked about this before, I've really mixed feelings about this. You guys know my stances on issues and which side I am on, but I I personally, I I don't see him winning. I I don't see him being able to win. 
he was a great president. Um, his policies helped all of us. But I, I feel the political climate and this, this stigma associated with him, you know, coupled with some of the results of the midterm results of some of the candidates he backed, shows me that maybe maybe it's time he it's time for him to move you know it's time to move on it's time to turn the page you know and if you're one of the anti-Trump people, as much as you hate him, I I think you have to look at the possibility that if he loses this he's done. Like there's you know and I think he will I I really do as terrible as Biden is and as terrible as everything the Democrats have done. You know, we've seen a couple things. A lot of this country is stupid and will vote for bad policy. Um, they view things that affect the minority as more important than things that affect the majority. You know, inflation affects us all. Crime affects us all. The stagnant of the economy affects us all. The border crisis affects us all. But unfortunately, you know, we have people voting on silly stances like, you know, Abortion, uh, you know, they're worried about racism and white supremacy, things that are irrelevant, things that aren't really an issue, you know. And just because it's an issue to you doesn't mean it's a major issue. It's not. You know, it's not one of those things that affects everybody. You know, and going forward, look, Trump's not going to be able to sway independence. You know, and I definitely don't think he's going to be able to hold on to any of the Democrats that voted red in the midterms, assuming there were some, maybe in some states like Florida and, you know, other states where, you know, obviously in New York, there were some House seats flipped, a lot of House seats flipped uh, from blue to red, you know, but I don't see him holding on to those people because he's, the media in a way succeeded with character assassination on the man and painted him to be something, you know, he, he really isn't. And, you know, he was attacked at every term. And, you know, I've said this over and over again, unfortunately the voting electorate in this electorate in this country is, is very glib, very misunderformed. And a lot of them, he won't get their vote, you know, solely based on that. You know, and I also believe his announcement probably clears the field of any other Republicans thinking about running uh, maybe only Ron DeSantis stands a chance against him, but, you know, if you're DeSantis, you have to ask yourself, do you really want to put yourself through a grueling primary with Trump? I mean, he's he's crass, you know, and he's going to come at and, and it's going to be mentally exhausting. It really is, you know. And in a perfect world, we would hope they could team up and save the country together. But my guess is that probably won't happen. But I, I, I could be wrong, you know. And then I guess, say Trump gets the nomination, and we're putting the cart before the horse at this point. You know, it's a podcast. We're just being theoretical. Um, you know, you have to look at the prospect of who's willing to run with him as a VP, as VP. And personally, I don't see anyone who's currently holding an elected position running with him uh, because it's too big of a risk. And there's way more rhinos than you think, as the fact that Mitch McConnell still holds a leadership position in the Senate shows you. Um, you know, I've read articles and they said possibly Kari Lake 
out of Arizona. She just lost the election there. But I, I believe the whole election process in Arizona is rigged. I'm not trying to be some kind of election denier. But if you're if there's anywhere where you can't get all the votes counted in one night, like everyone associated with the process should be arrested. Because there's no excuse for that. I don't believe there should be any voting early. And I believe you should only be able to vote absentee if under some extenuating circumstances or your active duty military. Other than that, you show up, you vote, you put it on a paper ballot, and that's how it's done. No computers, no mail-in, no ballot harvesting, no drop-offs, no nothing. You turn in your ballot. No one can turn it in for you. And I'm sorry to those with disabilities and whatever. That's, that's just how I feel. You know, Florida runs a pretty tight and what I would call very fair election process. Look at the results there. You know, a lot of places, they're still counting votes in Alaska. Florida can count all their votes in one night with a hurricane moving in, but Alaska can't count. Like, that's fishy, you know. But say, back to what I was talking about, you get Trump uh, and he's running with Kari Lake, you're going to have two people on the campaign trail going on about stolen elections. Like, I I feel they're going to talk, you know, it's going to be more about sound bites and snippets than it is, you know, you can't really put Kari Lake out there because she's unaccomplished, you know. She's almost like a Republican Beto or Stacey Abrams without all the losses. Um, and I think it's important important to have candidate, accomplished candidates, polished candidates, uh, you know, and, and it's unfortunate. Like I said, I thought Trump was a good president. You don't have to like him as a person. I'm, I'm one of those people that can separate the two. I would never want the guy as a neighbor, you know, but at the same time, what he did worked. You know, we didn't have the issues we have now, and it doesn't have anything to do with COVID, and that's a whole other issue. And if you go back in some of the early podcasts, I walk you through the whole scam that was the pandemic and all that as well. But I guess the worst part of this is, and my ultimate fear could be that this results in four more years of Biden. You know, and I have a tough time. I mean, that would be six years from today if you count the two before the election. Before. I don't see the guy living this long. Um, you know, it's unfortunate he's lived as long as he has. But, you know, or whatever Dem runs in his place, I, my gut feeling is they're going to push Gavin Newsom out there, maybe Gret, Gretchen Whitmer, which when you look at Michigan and you look at California, two terribly run places, people that handled the pandemic terribly, their states are a fucking mess with crime and everything else. And, you know, how Gretchen Whitmer won in Michigan is insane. I would think that's going to be the next state where um, if people can secure jobs, you will really start to see an exodus from, uh, like you did in New York, like you did in California. You know, to think, I mean, I guess Gavin Newsom won because the people that would have voted against him left. But... Um, you know, that, that could be what we have to look forward to. You know, and, and I guess I worry about there being more liberal idiocy and bad policy. My last kind of point on the whole Trump thing is I, I think back to early on and even like his inaugural address and how he touted and, and spoke of America first, you know. And I can't help but when I look at this announcement that I have to say that I feel like this was about him first. 
that it's really not so much about America at all. Maybe you can, you know, a lie becomes the truth if you tell tell it to yourself enough times and you surround yourself with people who tell you everything you say is right and don't really level with you, which I could easily see him doing. It kind of reminds me a lot of Vince McMahon. Um, You know, and it makes me sad because I think, you know, if he really, really was about what's best for the country, he would, you know, maybe, maybe back DeSantis, maybe find, you know, make it more about defeating Joe Biden than him defeating Joe Biden or defeating the Democrats as opposed to him defeating this, the Democrats. You know, and it brings me back to a line from one of my favorite movies, uh, The Dark Knight, in which Harvey Dent said, you either die a hero or unfortunately you live long enough to become the villain. You know, and, and, and maybe that's a case of what's happening here. So time will tell, you know, but if I'm looking into my magic eight ball, that's kind of how I see things. But who knows? Like I said, you know, 2024 is, you know, a little more than, I don't know, just shy of two years from now. In the last episode, I talked about the allegations of Lucy Studi, um, Lucy Stacy, that her father, Donald Studi, was a serial killer and had buried uh, dozens of victims on their family farm in Iowa. Uh, so I did some more digging on that just to see if the story had kind of escalated, if there's anything new to tell. I don't have a lot for you. Uh, this is something I'm going to stick with. I find it interesting even being where I live here in the Midwest. It's not on the news more in between. I mean, I guess we had the Daryl Brooks trial kind of wrap up the uh, Waukesha Christmas parade idiot who ran over and killed all those people pretty much being sentenced to like six life sentences plus like 572 years, which is amazing. The guy's going to get shivved in prison in his first month, uh, which he rightfully deserves. And I hope he dies a slow death. But anyways, um, so back to the studio thing. Some excavations have actually become begun on the property. Uh, the FBI has actually become a part of the investigation as well. Um, there was no updates on anything they found or uh, in which areas the excavations were being done. I will, I'll honestly continue to monitor this because, like I said, I find it interesting, but I think the story is just kind of getting buried under midterms and inflation and maybe as much as the news likes to tell you really bad things you know most of it which is made up this could actually be something true that's bad and maybe they kind of want to stray away from that but um, you know while we're on the topic of things we should honestly hear more about and I find it funny because uh, I'll get to that this past Wednesday was my wife's birthday. Um, I know I mention her and our adventures on here quite often. And honestly, she doesn't get the credit she deserves, which is kind of funny because when I was watching the Tennessee game, and it was irritating me, but not like a Packer game does. I think she was trying to talk to me just to kind of make sure I don't ruin my whole night over a football game because, you know, it's way more important to men and sometimes women don't understand fandom or whatever. But she was like, oh, so what's your podcast about? You know, and I kind of told her about the Kevin Smith thing I was going to talk about. And I honestly had forgot about the Trump thing in the middle. And I was like, actually, I talk about you. 
and uh, your birthday and blah, blah, blah. And she kind of gave me this look like, mm. I was like, yeah, see, now you asked. You think, you know, and it was kind of like, ha, ha. And I told her I was going to call her out on that. But she won't listen to this till like two weeks from now anyway, so it won't matter. But, um, you know, I, I think about it and I'm like, you guys only have to deal with me 30 to 45 minutes a week, th- 36 and counting tonight. And she's got to deal with me 24-7, 365. And I assure you, it's not an easy task. Obviously, I'm easy on the eyes. I have this amazing voice, uh, you know. But she seriously uh, has encouraged me through this podcast journey and the journey of life, more importantly, as well. She offers critiques, um, often even when... I'm not asking, and uh, she often suggests she often suggests things that I usually end up talking about, and maybe don't always give her the credit for. Um, you know, and I say all the time how blessed I am, and how I truly appreciate how fortunate I am, and how great my life. Is. You know, and, and I really do have a great life, and I think it's always important to keep that in perspective. But a huge part of that, if not most of it, is because of Kai. You know, she's also been kind enough to let me renovate the basement, which is why I'm here in the kitchen doing this, Um, you know, and turn the basement into my bar, man cave, podcast studio, to which I only have about 10 feet of painting left, and then the barnwood process begins. I put up the final braces, which I'd kind of forgot I never did, on a wall tonight before the Tennessee game. um, I got my... It's actually sitting here on the corner to, to, next to me. Polyurethane, fast-drying, durable, clear protection. Kind of has to go over the barn wood before I start putting it up just because, you know, in a the basement there's moisture um, and you just don't want the wood to warp or whatever. So uh, I may get started on that tomorrow, maybe. Ah, tomorrow could be a busy day, so it may not be till middle of next week or whatever. But the process is going to start moving quickly. But, yeah, so, you know, the uh, we call Kai the, the real MVP around here because she is. She's kind of like the face that runs the place. I'm just the entertainment. Um, but, yeah, this week's uh, episode uh, is brought to you by the operatic emo jam Welcome to the Black Parade. By My Chemical Romance. You know, I, I've always loved this song, um, you know, from the first time I heard it. And it kind of, it's kind of cool. It has, like, such a queen feel to it. And who doesn't love queen, right? Uh, you know, that, it's kind of coupled with the punk emo element. that made for a lot of great music in the early 2000s, maybe a little later than that. And, you know, My my as far other than the music i wasn't real familiar with my chemical romance like i knew the songs and stuff but i couldn't have named anyone in the band or told you you know recognized any of them on the street or anything but uh they sold over 10 million albums to date uh they're still making music today they had kind of taken a period off there where the lead singer gerard way had kind of left the band to do some solo projects and deal with some substance abuse issues i believe he was an alcoholic um but they kind of had this brooding sound that cemented them in the emo genre that was everywhere some years ago you know it was almost like a bit more of a punk grunge phase you know where the grunge music you know at times people thought it was downtrodden and gave this realistic message you know and it was kind of you think of like some of the just the heavy topics of some of the songs where i think 
emo took some of the same stuff and it was more you know an upbeat faster music uh reminiscent of a lot of you know, heavy punk influence in a lot of those um you know and i i'll be honest i was never into the emo stuff you know when it was popular but over the years i've kind of learned to kind of love and enjoy quite a bit of it um you know and appreciate the art of the songwriting kai is a big emo kid uh she doesn't care she'll tell anyone uh she listens to a lot of bands i'll be in her car and like the playlist place and I, I i'm like what who is this what but there's some good music out there um if you get a chance listen to my chemical romance like i said welcome to the black parade is it's a very cool song um you know it's kind of a tells a little story which i think i like any storytelling songs and whatnot but um it's getting late actually it's earlier than it usually is when i finish up uh my whiskey my ice has melted in my whiskey which means i'm not drinking fast enough you guys need to do less talking more drinking that probably makes for a better show and um hope you guys enjoy hope you guys enjoyed the show look two episodes in a row i didn't take a couple weeks off in between it let's see how long i can keep this streak going and be a productive person but that's all I got tonight. Uh, thanks for hanging out. Uh, see you guys next week. Everybody have a wonderful, great, safe Thanksgiving. If you're traveling, um, eat lots of turkey. Enjoy a terrible Detroit Lions football game, followed by a Cowboys game, followed by, I don't know, whoever. Now they add the third game, and I think it's on the NFL channel. But um, hopefully it's teams that are actually good and not like the Packers. But that's all I got. Peace.